0: Hello, and welcome back to Broadway Overanalyzed, a podcast where the spotlight is not on the Broadway stage, but on the orchestra pit underneath. In every episode, we overanalyze a new Broadway score. We'll discuss the show's soundtrack, dissect the show's recurring themes, and dive into its style, structure, and influences. My name is Samuel Riddle, and I am joined once again by my co-host, who doubles as my sister, Lydia, are you ready for episode number two?
1: Ready for episode two. <laughs>
0: Great. You sound very enthusiastic.
1: <laughs> well, we talked about this before. We get very nervous before <laughs> recording, um, which we don't know why, because definitely we can edit things out, but it is a little nerve wracking. <laughs> but I'm ready to go.
0: Before we begin, I want to uh, thank everyone for their feedback on episode one. Uh, I think we learned a lot last month about the process for putting together a podcast, and we do appreciate all of these suggestions uh, from our listeners, however small our listening pool may be, uh, but uh, whether that was through YouTube or email or just talking with uh, friends and family, we definitely appreciate uh, your comments. If you have anything that you'd like to tell us, any comments, questions, or suggestions, send us an email at bwayoveranalyzed at gmail.com, uh, or you can leave a comment on my YouTube channel. We have an Instagram account now. Last time I checked, Lydia, I think we had eight followers. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, so not bad. We can definitely grow those numbers. <laughs> uh, the Instagram account is at bway.overanalyzed. Uh, so give us a follow there. Um, Again, we are playing on my YouTube channel as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcast, so give us a like or a rating or a follow or a sub uh, wherever you're listening so you can stay up to date with Broadway Overanalyzed. That's enough advertising for the podcast. Let's get into the focus of today's episode which is the blockbuster musical that continues to run on Broadway in the Gershwin Theater to this very day, or at least it uh, will continue to run once Broadway is back open. It may be the most swankified score on Broadway. It's definitely one of the most popular. It is uh, the 2003 musical, Wicked. One of my uh, first memories of this show is in the car listening to our oldest sister playing uh, the soundtrack for us. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think she was the first one that kind of introduced us to this music.
0: I remember the score kind of freaking me out when I was small. I'm not really sure why. I think it was because... I didn't really know what the plot for Wicked was. I was familiar with The Wizard of Oz and I knew that the Wicked Witch was this bad character. I remember Defying Gravity in particular kind of freaking me out because I thought it was her song about how she was like descending into like her evil uh, I don't know. For some reason it freaked me out. I don't know why.
1: (laughs) It is... fairly dark it's a fairly dark show um at least listening to the music but when you go to see the show it's 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 also very hilarious too like there's moments where you're just laughing out loud and there's moments where you're crying and scared and yeah but just kind of a dark overtone
0: uh we both uh had the opportunity to see the show on tour that was a while ago and you got to see the show uh on broadway what was that like
1: did see it on Broadway. It was cool. Honestly, I, I remember when we saw it on tour. Um, I think I liked it a little bit more because that first time you see Alphaba fly into the air and defying gravity, like literally tears came to my eyes. It's like one of the most amazing things. And so seeing it for the first time, I think is kind of unrepeatable. Um, but seeing it on Broadway was great. I went in 2018 which was the 15th anniversary of Wicked. So I got to see the 15th anniversary cast, which was really, really cool. I saw, um, I have my playbill here as well. So I saw uh, Jessica Vosk as Elphaba, which I love her. She's so good. (laughs) Yeah, um, and then I saw Amanda Jane Cooper as Glinda, Um, who was very good as well um but i also was wondering did you have have you seen lots lots of like bootlegs do you have a favorite alpha bug linda performance that you've seen
0: uh i i think jessica vosk is definitely my favorite elf i haven't watched a ton of bootlegs i probably watched I don't know if it's okay to talk about watching bootlegs on this. Hopefully that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't watched a ton, but I think, yeah, I think Jessica Vosk is definitely my favorite Elphaba. I don't really have a favorite Glinda. How about you?
1: Um, yeah, I think definitely seeing Jessica Vosk, um, just maybe one of my favorite Elphabas. I like Katie Rose Clark as Glinda, um, seeing her in, in bootlegs before. Um,
0: Okay well Lid. before we dive into uh, the music of Wicked, let's get a little background on the show itself. Uh, so similar to what we did last time, can you just tell me a little bit about how the show made its way uh, to Broadway and can you also introduce us to the composer of the score?
1: Yeah, um, the composer of the show is Stephen Schwartz Um, And he wrote kind of his first musical that ended up going to Broadway while he was in college um, at Carnegie Mellon. Um, He wrote Pippin there. Um, He also wrote Godspell, um, which, started off off off-Broadway and then eventually made it to Broadway, and those were kind of his two shows that um, kind of got him into the musical theater world and got him some recognition there. Um, After that, he went on to write The Baker's Wife and Children of Eden. He even worked with Leonard Bernstein, who's a uh, influence of his um, as well, but those shows kind of didn't do as well, Um, and so after those shows, he kind of goes to film, Um, and I think he's a great this is a great show kind of to do after Newsies and talking about Alan Menken because Stephen Schwartz has worked a lot with Alan Menken. Um, They did Pocahontas together, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Um, and then also Stephen Schwartz for film wrote The Prince of Egypt, which music I like absolutely love and I've been trying to get like campaigned for being on Broadway and it's on the West End now um that's close enough um but while he was on vacation um in Hawaii I believe someone gave him the book Wicked by Gregory Maguire Um, And he read it and thought it was the perfect book to kind of adapt for the stage. So he comes back from Broadway after kind of doing this stint in film, um, writes Wicked. It goes on Broadway in 2003 um, based on that novel. Um, And it is about the Wicked Witch of the West. It's kind of a retelling of her story, um, so we kind of get the story from her perspective. Um, which I think is it's interesting to talk about now, too, because I feel like this is a very popular um, <laughs> you know, uh, plot device nowadays. I mean, we're seeing um, Disney kind of run this plot again and again where we're taking the villain and we're making the villain the protagonist of the story, which is just a, it's such an interesting plot device. And Disney's coming out with Cruella, I think, uh, maybe next year and then it's also done like Maleficent and The Joker just came out. This is kind of a becoming kind of a popular plot device and I think Wicked is one of the like um, just similar uh, examples of that. Um, so Wicked becomes one of the highest grossing shows on Broadway. It recently celebrated its 15th anniversary and it beat uh, Les Mis to become the fifth longest running show on Broadway. Um, so very, very popular, did very, very well. Um, on Broadway, but when it came to the Tony Awards, um, and I find this just very sad because I, I feel like it's such a it's such a good show for people getting into um, Broadway. It's got such a great book, such great music, such great sets and costumes. But it did not win uh, Musical of the Year at the Tony Awards. In fact, it lost Best Book, Best Score and best musical to Avenue Q, um, which is written by the writer of Frozen, Robert Lopez. Um, and I think time has kind of come to show that Wicked has had the bigger impact on musical theater, but I think it is interesting that it lost kind of these, these big awards.
0: Uh, I, want, I wanted to mention also, I think it's so interesting that uh, the, the story of Stephen Schwartz picking up a book while he's on vacation and turning it into a musical reminds me so much of Lin-Manuel Miranda turning Hamilton in a musical. I really do think that the best musicals come from the composer of the score deciding what story he wants to write uh, and Mm -hmm. then writing it. And then after that, bringing that idea to a producer. A lot of times it happens the other way around and those, I, I think about, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda after he wrote Hamilton doing, like, the songs for Moana, which are okay, but I don't think they're very good. Um, so, same thing where I, I just, I think it's so much better when the composer is the one who decides which story they want to write about. They, they're they enthusiastic about it, and they're the ones who decide which songs are being written.
1: Yeah. I, um, I watched an interview with Stephen Schwartz and Winnie Holzman who wrote the book for Wicked, and they were talking about how the writers of the show own the show, and they kind of like set it up and decide where it goes, so I think it's, it's, that's so true what you're saying is it starts with kind of like the writer's passion for the project, and that shows in like the final product as well.
0: So maybe if you're a, a struggling songwriter on Broadway, the solution is go on vacation and bring a bunch of books with you. <laughs> Lyd, thanks for the uh, introduction to uh, the show and to uh, Steven Schwartz. Uh, if you could spend a little bit of time now just super briefly going over uh, the synopsis of the show before we dive into its score. Tell me about uh, the plot, the characters, the setting for this thing uh, before we get into the music.
1: Yeah, so kind of, as I said before, it's kind of a retelling of The Wizard of Oz from the perspective of the witch, Wicked Witch of the West. Um, it starts when that witch, who's named Elphaba, um, is in college, and she becomes reluctant roommates with Glinda, the good witch, um, whose personality could not be more different, um, than hers. The two start out hating each other, but then become kind of unlikely friends, and then the show kind of follows that friendship, um, and that that kind- their kind of journey, um, as Elphaba fights against the great and powerful Oz when he reveals some dark and sinister
0: schemes. So now that we have a little background on uh, what the plot of the show is, as well as uh, the history of the show and it's uh, making its way into Broadway, uh, let's take a more uh, close look at the score itself. Um, So last episode, when we were discussing Newsies, we threw the word intense around a lot, or at least I did. (laughs) I realized listening back to the episode that I said the word intense a lot. Uh, But uh, I I think the the word intense is a great way to describe the Newsy score. Um, And, of course, the the Wicked score itself is also very intense. Uh, But if I could choose a different uh, word to describe Wicked, I think that I would go with the word epic. Um, Everything about this show is very epic the set design is massive. There's this, like, big dragon hanging from the ceiling. Um, the lighting is very epic. There are these – I remember there being, there being these really big dramatic switches in the lighting. Um, they're very noticeable. There are these huge projections. There are a lot of costumes. They're over-the-top costumes. So everything about this show is big.
1: Um, and – I just wanted to say, though it did lose at the Tony Awards Best Book, Best Score, and Best Musical, it did win Best Set Design, Costume Design. So as you're saying, those things are just hugely epic and amazing.
0: Uh, So this epicness applies to the score as well. The sound of Wicked is a very big sound. I think I talked about this a little bit last episode, but normally when I play through a score on the piano, it's the rhythm that throws me off. I'm normally okay with reading the notes, but for, for this score, when I was playing through this score, it was completely different for me. Really hard score to play, really long score also. Uh, but it was, it, it was, the reason I think that it was so hard was because there's, st- there's just so many notes going on uh, in Wicked. Uh, There's just, there's a lot of very heavy chords being played all the time. There's just a lot that's going on. And that also applies to the orchestrations for the show. Uh, You might remember, Lydia, when I was talking about the Newsies Orchestra, I kind of went through what instruments are included in that. And so the instruments that are in the Newsies Orchestra were, there were a few woodwinds, there were just a couple brass instruments, a single keyboard, a single violin, a single cello, percussion and drums, okay? So that's a that's a pretty standard orchestra on Broadway right now as far as the size goes. Listen to the orchestra that plays every night for Wicked in the Gershwin Theater. This is the string section. There are two violins. There's a viola, a cello and a harp. There's a harp in the Broadway orchestra pit, which I find is so weird. A harp's a big instrument. Uh, This is the brass section. There are two horns, two trumpets, two trombones. In the woodwind section, there is a piccolo, a flute. There are multiple oboes, a recorder, multiple clarinets, multiple saxophones, a bassoon, a penny whistle, and an English horn. There are drums and there's percussion, and there are lots of elements to uh, both the drums and the percussions. There are multiple guitars, both electric and acoustic. There's even a mandolin and a banjo in the orchestra pit. I have no idea where those show up in the score. When I was listening through the soundtrack, I was trying to hear where there's a mandolin and a banjo. I couldn't really figure it out, but apparently they're there. Um, There are also three keyboards in this show two of them are electronic uh, and one of them is actually an acoustic piano which is in the uh, orchestra pit which is also something that's really rare.
1: I saw uh, an interview where Steven Schwartz said he wanted heavy bass and heavy percussion because it would feel like a giant shadow was terrorizing you uh, which I feel like lends itself to the idea that it is kind of like this dark show or kind of gives you this idea of like a wicked witch flying over top of you which, which I think is cool.
0: Yeah, so obviously a really big sound to the Wicked score. That's 23 musicians in total, many of them playing multiple instruments. So we have an epic score, a big sound. Let's take a look at what may have influenced this decision of Schwartz and the orchestrator, who I should have mentioned, but I'll mention him now. His name is William David Brown. He's, he's probably the most well-known orchestrator on Broadway. Uh, he did stuff like Mary Poppins and Miss Saigon. He's, he's kind of well-known for, he, he also orchestrated The Secret Garden, which is a favorite of mine, <laughs> uh, but uh, he's kind of well-known for incorporating these electronic sounds into uh, the Broadway orchestrations. Anyway, Let's take a look at what may have influenced this decision of Schwartz and Brown uh, to write Wicked uh, with such an epic sound. Uh, Before I got into that, I wanted to mention, first of all, just how much information there is online on the musical analysis of Wicked. Lydia, you and I were talking about this uh, on the phone a little bit last week, how there's just, there is a, there is a plethora of information uh, on the Wicked score. There are books that have been written analyzing the music of Wicked. There are videos on YouTube that you can find that go into a single uh, song in Wicked and talk about it for hours at a time. Uh, So there's a lot of information to find. um, And I just wanted to say for this podcast, we're trying to keep it You know kind of shorter this is going to be sort of a more broad look at the entire score as a whole so here are the two major influences i think on this score first of all uh wicked is extremely thematic uh so there's a thematic style that influences the score uh, especially the structure of the score And then secondly, I want to talk about uh, the 1990s pop music sound, uh, which is a huge influence on the sound of the Wicked score. So first of all, uh, the music of Wicked is extremely thematic. Uh, Of course, uh, as we saw last episode, every musical theater score has themes, but Wicked kind of takes that to a new extreme. The score itself has been described as being more like a film score than anything else. Uh, so if you know anything about film scores, you'll hear the words motif and light motif thrown around a lot. And so a motif is just any recurring musical theme. It can take on different forms, different uh, emotional styles uh, within uh, a piece of music. And then there's also a leitmotif, which is any recurring theme that is especially associated with a particular character or a particular emotion. Uh, So I think that Wicked is unique from other musicals in that while many musicals use recurring motives, Wicked uh, uses recurring leitmotifs. Uh, So it has specific themes that it uses consistently throughout the whole show uh, for a particular character. Um, And it's also unique in that a lot of those leitmotifs don't have uh, accompanying sung lyrics, but are just there as underscore or transitional music, or even as music during sung melodies uh, that help us to kind of set what we should sort of, Schwartz uses it to set what the audience should be feeling Uh, during the scene. This emphasis on uh, thematic styles, I think, might be Schwartz kind of tipping his hat to uh, the original source for Wicked, which is the well-known film, The Wizard of Oz. Obviously, The Wizard of Oz was an iconic movie for its story and its characters, but it was also iconic for its music. Uh, We're all familiar with the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Um, And I think Schwartz sort of makes us feel like we're in this cinematic universe by using multiple motives throughout the show. So despite being on the stage, uh, I think maybe Wicked has kind of that feel of like you're in a movie theater uh, also while you're um, uh, watching it as it's happening live in front of you. And I I wanna mention before we move on that this idea of recurring themes throughout a show doesn't actually have its origin in Hollywood. It actually has its origins in classical opera. Uh, So I've said motive and leitmotif, those are actually German words that we get from Richard Wagner who was the uh, Romantic era composer who wrote, uh, the opera that you probably know of with like the Viking lady with the horns singing really high soprano notes um, so it's kind of cool to see how this idea of recurring themes throughout a show this idea of motives and leitmotifs is kind of coming full circle with Wicked uh, where now it's coming back to the stage.
1: Um, Schwartz also has written a few operas so it's interesting that he, he has experience in that world too.
0: I haven't really done any analysis of like Pippin or Godspell. I I don't know if you've listened to those soundtracks. I haven't haven't really listened to them completely, but I'd be interested to see what their structure is compared to Wicked with respect to uh, recurring themes. So I want to give just one example of a leitmotif in Wicked and show how Schwartz uses it throughout the musical. Uh, And as we walk through the soundtrack in a bit, I think we'll probably touch on the other themes that we see throughout the score. But for now, let's take a look at uh, what is definitely the most iconic and most frequently used theme in the show. Uh, Online, this is often referred to as the Alphabet theme. I kind of like to think of it more as the Wicked Witch theme. I think that's probably a more suitable name for it. I think we'll see why uh, soon. Uh, This is the first thing that we hear when the show opens, and I just want to play uh, on the piano that theme for you. It's just a a mudslide of chords. You've talked about it, Lyd, but it's like this shadowy feeling that we're just being overpowered by something. Very dark, very minor. And this theme is the theme that's going to tell us that the audience should be scared of Alphaba because it's always associated with Alphaba every time it comes up uh, in the score, which is really interesting. Uh, so, uh, one of the ways that that happens at the beginning of the show is right when Alphaba is born. We're going to hear uh, this uh, theme come into play. Uh, so, once again, being associated with Alphaba. So, let me play from the No One Mourns the Wicked track really quickly here. So eventually the audience realizes that Elphaba isn't actually going to be the bad guy in the show. Uh, We begin to realize that she's actually the good guy. We find out that the wizard and Madame Morrible are actually the bad guys. So Schwartz is kind of using this theme to toy with our emotions. And to kind of get us thinking about what is good and what's bad, uh, which is kind of one of the major themes of, not musical themes, but one of the uh, lessons that the show is trying to teach us. Uh, So that's kind of interesting. Uh, It's something that I think of as musical manipulation. It's a big part of this show, and I, we'll talk a little bit more about what that is in just a second here. I wanna play one more example of this theme. Uh, so act one actually ends with this theme at the end of Defying Gravity. Um, and it's a little more subtle here, but you're gonna hear it uh, in the background of what's being played. So let me play that for you. Nobody in all of us, no wizard that there is or won.
1: It's, it's so appropriate for it to play there because not only is that, like, I think one of the best Act 1 enders of, like, all time, um, it's just Alphaba kind of, like, owning it and, like, finally becoming the Wicked Witch of the West, so it's, it's so appropriate for that theme to play there.
0: My thought is that as the audience now, we, we asso- we're associating this theme with, uh, with something bad, Right not the song, <laughs> not the song Something Bad, but uh, we're, we're associating with, with the, this idea of wickedness. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening is we're hearing the ensemble coming in, singing this song with the Wicked Witch theme played underneath it. And I, I think what's happening is we're thinking, we know that Elphaba's good, but we're mm-hmm. hearing this ensemble singing the music with this dark undertone, and we're, we're, I think it kind of is frustrating to us because we're like, no, she's the good guy. Uh, so why are you playing this Wicked Witch theme? Uh, and so I think it's kind of more of this musical manipulation that Schwartz is using against us uh, to sort of making us really get into the show.
1: I think the weirdest place that this theme is used maybe is I don't know if you're going to talk about this. Are you?
0: <laughs> Are you going to talk about as long as your mind? Oh, yeah, that's what this I was. was that was literally the next thing I was about to talk about. <laughs> get, to get, us, get us into it, Lynn.
1: Um, I think that the weirdest theme place that that theme is used in is as as long as your mind because it's such a it's a little bit softer and slower. Um, and this is a romantic song, so this this evil theme is kind of setting up this romance. Um, and I I feel like that's kind of because. At the end of the song, Elphaba says for the first time that she feels wicked, and she's kind of taking Glinda's man in this moment. So again, you're kind of wrestling with, is she good? Is she evil? What does that mean? Just kind of like you were saying before. Yeah,
0: Right. Uh, I think it might be worth it just to listen to the very beginning of that theme, if that's okay, Led. So I think we have probably a good understanding now of how Stephen Schwartz is using these leitmotifs to uh, sort of toy with our emotions and also to make us subconsciously question what is good, what's bad, why it's good, why it's bad. Uh, There's something uh, that I think is interesting about this score. I came up with my own term for this. (laughs) I'm calling it stylistic leitmotifs. Uh, I hope that's I an appropriate t- term to use. But basically, I think what happens is every time a certain character comes onto the scene, there's some sort of musical style that we start to associate with them. Uh, so every time Elphaba comes out, we'll hear kind of these minor chords, like in the Wicked Witch theme. I'm thinking also of, like, the end of The Wizard and I, how it ends on those that minor chord progression um but then uh whenever the wizard comes out on stage we get these either really somber songs or these really even like jazzy upbeat vaudeville songs like in wonderful so (laughs) again it's uh it's schwartz using a style that's kind of the opposite of how we should be thinking of these characters uh, so once again, more of this uh, musical manipulation, stylistic leitmotifs.
1: It's also, it's so cool, like just talking about this score and like doing the research on it, I realized just how it's just so cool. Um, because in the beginning, um, when after after Elfa is born and you realize her father um, is not her, her biological father is not who she thinks her father is, um the her biological father kind of comes out singing this jazzy song which the wizard then sings who is her actual father has this jazzy style so it's just this hint in the first song of the show uh who her father is and you don't figure that out until later so things in the beginning start to just make sense near the end it's just so clever the way he does that yeah
0: so we've looked at the wicked witch of the west theme Uh, That's just one of many examples of the thematic nature of the Wicked score. And I think as we're going through the soundtrack, we'll try to highlight more examples of this um, because there are a lot of these uh, throughout the show. But let's move on now and talk about some of the 1990s pop influences on Wicked. Uh, So we have this cinematic thematic influence on the Wicked score. And that sort of drives the structure of this show. Uh, But what really uh, drives the sound of the show is uh, 1990s era pop. So Wicked didn't come to Broadway until 2003, but Schwartz was writing this music kind of in the heart of the 1990s. Uh, I don't know a ton about 1990s pop. I've kind of listened to more of it In the past couple weeks than I've ever really cared to to be honest. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the sound Uh, but uh, in this era uh, something called teen pop was really big. Boy bands were sort of becoming a popular thing. Bands like Sync and the Backstreet Boys uh, were becoming popular and then also uh, electronic sounds were really big. They were big in the 1980s as well Uh, but especially Uh, this electronic keyboard uh, sound that we hear all uh, throughout the Wicked score. Um, To get us in the mood of of some 1990s pop, let me play just one example of a song that I think sounds a lot like Wicked. Uh, So I'm gonna play uh, Michael Bolton uh, singing the song, uh, you're gonna love this title, Said I Loved You But I Lied. is laughing at this song. <laughs>
1: oh, all the '90s kids are gonna be calling after us. So mad that we, you just the '90s music. Those like high, like trills. I don't, I don't know what to call them. But I feel like this music is perfect for this story because it, it almost feels magical. Like there's magic in it, and it, I feel like they kind of use that for for Elphaba's kind of power in the show.
0: Right. When I hear songs like this. I kind of automatically associate them with a song that I might hear during like the end credits of an animated Disney movie. I think that's because I probably grew up watching animated Disney movies from the 1990s. But doesn't it sound like a a song you might hear in like the end credits?
1: (laughs) I was literally thinking that when you were playing it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say as well, when I was doing research for Steven Schwartz, um, kind of found that one of the reasons that his his first kind of shows weren't as popular is because people were not used to pop music telling stories on stage. Um, he was kind of one of the first kind of people to bring pop music of its time to the stage. Um, and so, and I think that's kind of influenced theater in a huge way, kind of since he started writing.
0: So thematic structure, 1990s pop music sound, Um, and even though Wicked does rely heavily on those two things, obviously it's still, it's musical theater. It has some heavy musical theater sounds throughout, and even, even the structure. It has its I Want song. It has its dance number. It has its love ballads. There are songs like no One Mourns the Wicked, Thank Goodness, where we hear this trained soprano operatic-type voice that's kind of reminiscent of older Broadway shows. And then we also get uh, this vaudeville sound in songs like Wonderful and One Short Day. So, of course, uh, the thematic elements in the 1990s pop sound aren't exclusive to the Wicked score. Uh, but, I mean, like, like most musicals, Wicked is a combination of many different things, all working together to tell a single story.
1: So we have gone through some of the influences for Wicked. We've talked about how the show came to Broadway, and now we are going to go through the score.
0: Uh, we're going to be looking at the original Broadway cast recording of Wicked, which came out in 2003. There are 19 tracks on uh, this recording. There are, are 11 tracks in Act 1, and there are 8 tracks in Act 2. For the sake of time, we're going to be kind of skipping over uh, a couple of the Probably lesser-known songs within the score, and we'll uh, probably be diving into uh, some good detail into some of the big, some of the bigger songs. Okay, so let's get started with track one uh, from the Wicked soundtrack. This is the song, No One Mourns the Wicked. This is kind of the uh, scene setter for the show. We've already talked about uh, how it opens up with that Wicked Witch theme. Uh, So really big, uh, dark minor chords. Actually, right off of the bat and sort of this musical prologue before the show begins, we hear three of the score's main themes. Uh, So first, of course, we hear that Wicked Witch theme, which we've already talked about. The second theme that we hear is this uh, monkey theme. Uh, It is associated with the monkeys in the show, so That's they get I have their,
1: written on my paper as well, monkey theme.
0: Right, so they get their own leitmotif, which is kind of cool. Uh, of course, the show opens up with these uh, monkeys who actually open up the curtain <laughs> in Wicked, which is kind of cool. And then uh, this theme shows up again uh, in this really powerful moment at the end of Act 1 after Elphaba has inadvertently given all of the monkeys wings or whatever <laughs> I remember being a really kind of dark scary moment in the show there's this like big red lighting I remember and a lot of projections and it is scary um, let me play uh, let me play this monkey theme uh, for us real quick I think it's I think it's kind of a cool theme. And then the other theme that we hear is the unlimited theme which is going to be huge in this show we're gonna hear it a lot this is kind of i kind of think of this as like the polar opposite of the wicked witch theme Uh, because even though it's associated with alphabet, it's actually something that's very hopeful and it's in a major key. And so uh, it's something completely different. Uh, So let me play uh, this theme uh, on the piano for you. So it's got these ascending 16th notes, which kind of gives it that hopeful ring. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, lid, just these like ascending 16th notes. Um, and then it's got this really simple melody uh, over top of that. Um, which I think is pretty common knowledge now, but those are the first seven notes of that unlimited theme are the first seven notes to Somewhere Over the Rainbow from the original Wizard of Oz. Uh, So that's really cool. It's just another example of Schwartz kind of tipping his hat to the source for uh, Wicked. Of course, the timing is different, but the notes are the same.
1: One thing I think is cool about that, too, when I figured that out, I figured that out while I was doing research for this, I didn't know that it was, like, well known, but I, like, my mind was blown by that, Uh, but I think it's cool that in Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it's somewhere over the rainbow, and then it goes back down, skies are blue, Um, but in the Unlimited theme, it kind of takes it up again, my future is, and then goes up, um, which I think kind of leaves it a little more hopeful and open, and it almost kind of is a theme for Uh, Elphaba's almost, like, naivete, like, throughout the show as well, and she starts out so innocent.
0: Uh, In No One Wants the Wicked, we hear this song without uh, any accompanying lyrics, Uh, but uh, Alphaba does sing uh, this song with lyrics in uh, The Wizard and I uh, and Defying Gravity, and then it's also, you also hear it just before uh, For Good, although it's a little different. Uh, in that case, uh, but it's kind, of, it's kind of cool because they're, it's kind of used as a bridge in uh, Elphaba's two big songs within the score.
1: I think there's, so that's kind of an homage to The Wizard of Oz. Um, I think there is another in this song um, that it, it's, you could kind of compare it maybe to Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead um, from uh, the movie. Um, it has a similar. The song the "No One Mourns the Wicked" starts with "Good news, she's dead," um, whereas "Ding Dong, the Witch Is Dead" starts with those lyrics as well. So I think it's it's kind of a similar celebration feeling.
0: Eventually, in this song, we get into the uh, back, uh, sort of the backstory for Elphaba's birth, um, and uh, so we get kind of a more jazzy. Uh, sound when the wizard comes onto the stage we've already talked about this kind of more of this musical manipulation where uh this kind of uh, something bad is on the stage uh but we're we hear this kind of flighty music that gets accompanied with it um and then we'll remember again that we get that return to the wicked witch theme when elphaba is born
1: I did want to say that Steven Schwartz also wrote the lyrics for all of these songs as well. So in a couple of these songs, I just have a couple of like notable lyrics that I wanted to pull out to talk about. Um, and I think notable lyrics in this song are, what you miss when you misbehave. Um, this is something that Stephen Schwartz does all the time. And I think it's just so clever and so cool. He uses the same sounding word in different contexts. Um, You'll find this in Pocahontas as well, where he says, you'll learn things you never knew, you never knew. So we'll see that kind of come up again and again, where he's using the same kind of sound twice, but it means something slightly different. Um, And then I think also in his lyrics, he's introducing the themes and lessons of the show. We hear good news and we hear goodness knows there's so many plays on the word good and the word bad throughout the show and I just think that's kind of a theme like the wicked witch of the west is called wicked in her name and Glinda the good which is called good in her name but the show kind of grapples with is she actually wicked is Glinda actually good and what does that mean um, so I think he's kind of using lyrics and music as well to, to kind of play with those themes.
0: No One Mourns the Wicked ends uh, in the same way, actually, that the entire show ends in Act 2, with the title of the show uh, kind of being sung, uh, and it's sung in this really big uh, E major chord, but then uh, right after it's sung in the E major chord, it's followed by uh, a, a very low beat that's an A sharp uh, so, of course, uh, an E major chord would be a, an E, a G sharp, and a B. <laughs> and then if you put an A sharp in there, that's, uh, it's, it's just like the note in between the G sharp and the B. So, <laughs> very dissonant sound. So, it, it sounds really, uh, really interesting. Uh, and then, of course, it ends uh, kind of resolving itself and going back to the, to the good sounding uh, uh, full E major chord. Uh, but I I think it sort of gives you that idea again that uh, you hear this clear, you know, the the ensemble, it's clearly this is the Wicked Witch, but then there's this A-sharp where you're like, hmm, I don't know about this. I think there might be something kind of fishy going on here. Um, So I I think it's worth it to just uh, take a listen to the very end of this song. (laughs) I'll mention also, uh, I said that there, obviously there's thematic elements and 1990s pop elements, but this is a musical theater score. Uh, And uh, I think if you're familiar with musical theater, you probably already know that this is almost identical to the end of West Side Story. Uh, So I I, I feel like that's important to note, uh, where once again, I have uh, this major chord followed by this dissonant sound, and eventually it's going to resolve itself. I'll go ahead and play the finale to West Side Story so you can take a listen to that.
1: So Sam and I both kind of watched a video by Kevin Lynch that kind of showed the ending to West Side Story um, and kind of compared it to this end of No One Mourns the Wicked, um, which I just thought was so interesting. Um, and I think it's just cool because that, that theme is playing in West Side Story. is from somewhere. It's this very hopeful song, but then it ends on this like note that you're like, okay, but whoa, it was not a happy ending at all. Um, and so that's the same kind of feeling that you get in *Wicked*—that oh, she's dead, but okay, maybe that's not such a good thing. Um, so I just think it's—it's it's so interesting. Yeah.
0: After *No One Mourns the Wicked*, we get a really brief song in the soundtrack called *Dear Old Shiz*, and then uh, we get onto the *I Want* song for this score, which is *The Wizard and I*. I, see, I see who you truly This is such a great song, maybe my favorite song in the score. Um, I kind of divided this song up into seven sections, Lydia. And I thought maybe if we can really quickly go through each of these sections that that might be more useful in kind of uh, breaking down over analyzing this uh, song. Um, so the first section uh, is uh, Madame Morrible and Elphaba kind of singing an introduction Uh, To what the actual song is going to be. You hear these, uh, you hear a major chord automatically followed by an an augmented chord uh, within uh, these songs, within the melody uh, playing over top of that. Um, You keep on hearing this reference to a lyric that's making good or make good or something like that. That's actually in reference to Wicked, went through a lot of different revisions uh, as Schwartz was writing it. And actually his first uh, I Want song uh, for this show was a song called Making Good that Alphabet was going to sing. So I thought it was kind of interesting that he just decided to leave in these random references to Making Good, even though he wasn't going to have a song uh, focused on that. Then we get into the second section of Seven that we're going to talk about, which is kind of this pop intro uh, to the song. Um, and so it's, it's a really cool beat where all of a sudden, this is kind of the first time that we hear alphabet singing um, in a way that's uh, not dark, <laughs> um, and actually, there's a lot of uh, suspended chords that are being played, which are uh, which are pretty popular with Stephen Schwartz. And suspended chords have this kind of hopeful sound to them. Um, so it's kind of it's still kind of a muddy sound, but it's like a, it's a hopeful sound. Um, let me go ahead and play on the piano what this intro uh, to the Wizard and I sounds like.
1: this intro might sound a little familiar to you because it, it kind of shows Swartz kind of influence on musical theater writing, but it sounds eerily familiar to the beginning of Waving Through a Window. Um, the same beat and the same kind of chords over top of that as well.
0: If you're unfamiliar with uh, the intro to Waving Through a Window, uh, let me play that for you on the piano. Uh, you remember I talked about the triceo rhythm pattern uh, in Newsies, Lydia. Uh, this rhythm pattern, I, I said it was something we sort of associate with popular music now. Uh, it's very, it's very similar to a triceo pattern. So we kind of get the like one two three one two three, but it's slightly different because the uh, the the third note that we hear is actually on is half a beat later. So it's going to be something like one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, one, two, three is, you know, so it's, it's just like slightly off, which I think is kind of interesting with Elphaba's character, uh, yeah. because it's kind of like this pop sound, but it's like, there's something slightly off about that, <laughs> um, so uh, I, I also wanted to mention, we're, we're starting to hear in this uh, song, again, all, a lot of this uh, uh, electric keyboard, a lot of guitar, uh, just sort of adding to that, uh, to that uh, pop music effect. There is a recurring rhythm pattern uh, in uh, this score, and it shows up in the Wizard and I. And it's based on what's going to be kind of our main theme for Defying Gravity. Uh, it's kind of it's a very bouncy theme. So within this section of the Wizard and I, it's going to be something like dun 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 dun. Okay so that's going to be the rhythm pattern. Let me just play on the piano a quick segment of this song and listen for that rhythm pattern uh, and then we'll try to match it up with the defined Gravity rhythm pattern. So now I'm going to play for you the Define Gravity theme, uh, and listen in particular to the rhythm. It's going to have that dun dun dun. Okay. So the Define Gravity is going to be like dun 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 dun. Okay, right there. <laughs> that's 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 the recurring rhythm theme that we hear also in the Wizard and I. Then remember, Define Gravity is going to have this dun 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 over it, right? And that's actually the Unlimited theme coming in. <laughs> so all these themes kind of morphing together. Let me play the Define Gravity theme.
1: I think it's just kind of when you were playing those two, the Defying Gravity one just feels so much more settled and resolved, and the Wizard and I one feels a little more hopeful. Um, so I think it's interesting that it's kind of the same idea, like you were saying, but, but does have different kind of sound to them.
0: It's, it's interesting that you say that because, and the, def- the, the rhythms are the same, but in Define Gravity, I'm, st- I'm staying on a single note when I'm going through that. So mm. the, top, the top melody note is just a single note, but then in The Wizard and I, it's actually ascending.
1: Wow. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. So cool.
0: Uh, then after this sort of pop intro, we get our first kind of verse coming in, rhythm really starts to pick up. Uh, Then we get kind of our first bridge uh, in the song. This is, I'm on like the fourth section out of seven right now. Trying to go through these kind of quickly. Uh, But Alphaba kind of has this conversation with the wizard here. She mentions like imagining uh, herself getting de-greenified or whatever. So that's the the section of the song that I'm in right now. Uh, And then quickly... uh, we get a return to the verse in what's kind of the fifth section of this song. Uh, She kind of comes out of her trance and we go back to this driving rhythm. So everything's really driving now uh, instead of uh, the the slow uh, accompaniment that we just heard. Then section number six, we get into uh, the second bridge, which is return to the unlimited theme. Um, And we get uh, the unlimited theme for the first time accompanied with lyrics. Uh, So we get to hear that for the first time. And then we uh, make it to the last section, uh, which is sort of this big finish. Uh, And what happens is we have, uh, what happens is we get this modulation from G flat major to B major. So she just moves up, her melody just moves up half a step. She moves from B flat to B major. And what happens is it kind of, the, the whole rhythm of the, or the whole tempo of the song kind of slows down for a second. It almost has that feeling there's gonna be like a kick line on stage. That's how I kind of imagined it because the, the tempo just kind of slows down as she you know really starts belting. That's what Elphaba does, she belts. Um, and then uh, it quicks, it, it, it moves up some, some more tempo. And then it finally ends with the dissonant chord, dissonant minor chords that I was talking about, uh, kind of more of the musical manipulation before the show ends.
1: You're referring to the kick line maybe thing. I'm guessing you've probably heard this as well as Stephen Schwartz's story about going to watch Chorus Line um, and the ending to Wizard and I that um, he, he went to go watch Chorus Line and all the actors kind of came down to the middle of the stage and he was sitting in the audience going, okay, they're going to do a kick line. Like, this is so predictable, like, so obvious. This is just like cliche they're going to do a kick line but they didn't do a kick line and they went back and they danced a little bit more and they came down to the beginning again And he thought the kick line was coming but it didn't and they came back out and finally they do the kick line and he's in the audience just clapping and cheering now because the kick line finally came um so he talks about how he kind of held off on the belt until the very end and then when you get it it's like the most satisfying thing um at the end of the song
0: we should probably mention the uh, actress in the Broadway cast Recording. The song is sung in, in the original Broadway cast Recording by Idina Menzel, um, who you guys probably know from Frozen. <laughs> uh, so a uh, really well-known belter in the musical theater world. Uh, we've mentioned Jessica Vosk before, uh, who has very, very pure, clear-sounding voice. I, th- I think she's so good. I think she's better than Idina Menzel.
1: When I saw her um, sing Wizard and I, she went up on Ive for things I've never felt. It was like, she was like, things I've never felt. Like, it was like a note I had never heard before. And that, and she just like took it to another level. I was like, Lord, it was so cool.
0: Before we move on to the next song, what the heck, let's just give Jessica Vosk a little listen. And let's listen to this big finish in this I want song, The Wizard and I. so good some
1: notable lyrics i also wanted to point out is just uh the celebration throughout us that's all to do with me there's just so much irony in those lyrics because for elphaba at this point in the show she's thinking it's going to be a happy celebration and she's so full of hope but the audience knows that that celebration is the celebration of her death. (laughs) So there's just so much irony and sadness there. And it's, it's just such a great introduction to her character because we see her insecurities, we see her hopefulness and still some confidence underneath when she says, all right, why not? Um, It's just, you, you can't help but love her. And she's such an iconic bad character. This song is just the best introduction. What is this feeling? So Let's
0: move on to the fourth track in uh, this cast recording, which is the song What Is This Feeling? This is sort of a song that just sort of uh, progresses or, or tells us a little bit about it, it just less of progressing the plot and more of just sort of building uh, Glinda and Alphaba's relationship uh, with each other. Um, and sort of the bad parts of their relationship with each other. So we kind of get this theme that we begin to associate with uh, how Elphaba and Glinda uh, do not like each other or loathe each other as they say in the song. Let me play really, this is a really brief theme, but let me uh, play uh, this theme on the piano for you. It's one of those quick themes similar to what we saw in Newsy is that it's really easy to change the key on it so it's useful in just playing through transitions. Let me play an example of where this uh, theme is played, maybe not in this song, uh, but somewhere else. Uh, So let me play a brief excerpt from Dancing Through Life. Listen, Nessa and I were talking about you just now. And I was just talking about you.
1: I thought you might want to wear this hat to the party tonight. If it's really, uh, Our brother Isaiah, um, you know um, if you're listening to this shout out, but some of the feedback he gave was he wanted, um, he wanted us to give kind of more reasons behind why themes were repeated. I think this is, like, such a good example, um, because in that moment in Dancing Through Life, they sound like they're making up. Like, Elphaba goes to Glinda, is kind of extending an olive branch, and Glinda's like, here's this hat. But of course, we all know Glenda's giving her the hat to make fun of her. So the music underneath, again, it's kind of that manipulation thing where on the surface, it seems like, okay, they're making up, they're becoming friends. But the music underneath is telling you, remember, they hate each other um, with that music. So it's just so clever to bring that back in that moment.
0: After What Is This Feeling? we get a song called Something Bad, which is sort of a song that progresses the plot along. It's sung between uh, Dr. Dillamond and Alphaba. Dr. Dillamond is a a professor at her school. Um, So uh, a little more just telling what the plot is. And then we move on to uh, kind of the big dance number uh, in the show, which is called Dancing Through Life. It's uh, extremely heavy on the electronic keyboard sound. That's something that I think I noticed listening to the score is that this electronic keyboard sound is especially heavy uh, when, uh, for the songs uh, that are sung when they're at shiz, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, a lot of the more pop type songs are the songs that are when they're in like the college days, I guess. Right. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, We get an introduction to a new character uh, who is uh, Fierro. This is going to be first a love interest for Glinda and then a love interest for Elphaba. This is another one of those songs in the score where the plot is kind of progressed. Um, It's a very long song. Uh, Actually, in the score, it's divided into four different songs. They're called Dancing Through Life, The Oz Dust Dance, Buzz Dance and We Deserve Each Other. So those are the titles of the songs and the score. And of course, in the soundtrack, they're all kind of pushed together and some dialogue is gotten rid of. Uh, but it, it's, it's one of those songs that's common in musical theater where they're singing and then there's some dialogue and then you go back to the singing again. Uh, but there's kind of a lot of different uh, different melodies that are going on here. But there is an underlying melodic theme throughout the song that supports Uh, several of the melodies and also serves as underscore. Let me play uh, what melodic theme this is. So it's an interesting theme because uh, it's used with uh, several different uh, melodies, which is kind of cool because it, it kind of brings the whole song uh, in together as one. Uh, so it's played underneath kind of the original, uh, Fiero's original Dancing Through Life at the beginning of the song. And then you'll remember the part in the song where uh, Glinda and Fiero start seeing this now that we've, it starts off with now that we've met one another. Uh, and it, it goes to this, this, like, we deserve each other. Uh, song, but that that theme is played underneath both of those. So two different melodies, but they're mm-hmm. all being played underneath. They have the same chord progression, so they can all be played underneath this same theme and still sound good
1: interesting those were kind of the that was the part where the notable lyrics i was going to pull out are um i just think it's hilarious when pharaoh says you're perfect glinda says you're perfect and then they both just turn to the audience and go so we're perfect together and it's the same thing where he's using the same word in like a slightly different context it's like it's hilarious i love that line.
0: uh though we deserve each other line is also one that comes up a lot in the song to sort of uh, bring things together. Uh, I I counted four instances where uh, this like we deserve each other line is mentioned. First of all, like you said, it's sung by Fiero and Glinda about each other, and then Nessa sings it to Alphaba about Bach, and then Glinda talk, uh sings it to Alphaba about the hat <laughs> that she's giving to Alphaba, and then finally Nessa sings it to Bach about her and Bach. Uh, <laughs>
1: There's three couples in this song: Fiero and Glinda, Nessa and Vok, and Elphaba in that hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: funny. <laughs> uh, we we already discussed the return of the loathing theme. Uh, so everything's kind of coming, starting to come together within this song. Again, we're seeing this instance of how thematic of a show uh, that this is. Um, there kind of there there are two parts to this uh, song that I kind of wanted to point out. One of my favorite parts of this score, and I think this is just because I love uh, I love instrumental music, but I, I love it especially when it's to the tune of a melody that I'm familiar with. <laughs> and so I love the like Oz Dust dance portion of this song where it's just like the band coming in and playing um, the, what has been sung previously as melody.
1: There is also an amazing lighting change when you go to shoot, see the show during the scene. You start kind of in the courtyard of the college, and during that part where they're dancing around, the back of the stage is dark, and then all the dancers turn at the same time, turn back again, and the stage like lights up like a ballroom. It is one of the coolest lighting changes I've ever seen.
0: Let's take a listen to the, uh, this Ozdust dance, uh, and I want, I want to really uh, make sure you pay attention to there are these violins that play over top of the melody that just really staccato violins that just go dun 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 over the uh over the uh, oz melody it sounds really cool i'm gonna uh, play that for you I also wanted to talk about really briefly uh, a part of the score that's that you don't hear in the soundtrack so in this song the way that the story goes is elphaba comes out with this hat that glinda has kind of mockingly given her uh and tries to dance uh and she uh she kind of gets made fun of and what happens is glinda pities her steps in and starts to dance with her so there's this song in the score called elphaba's dance Uh, And it's basically just uh, the dancing through life melody, Um, but it it slowly builds as people start to join in with Elphaba and Glinda. And it's a really cool sound. So uh, let me play this for you on the piano.
1: that is maybe one of my favorite parts of the show um and I think it kind of comes from the absence of there being music there too because the entire time from when Elphaba enters to when she finishes her dance there is no music no talking you just feel so awkward for her and then Glinda comes in and you hear like one like one maybe instrument this really simple theme and then as other people join it just gets louder and louder and louder it's so cool, I love that part.
0: I know about popular, and with an assist from me to be who you'll be instead of dreary, who you were. There's nothing that can stop you from becoming popular. After dancing through life, we make it to uh, the seventh track uh, within the score. This is maybe one of the most well-known songs within Wicked. This is sort of uh, Glinda's big song. This is the song popular. Um, of course, this song has very heavy pop vibes, uh, and I, I think these are even uh, these are even heavier here than anything else that we've heard. Uh, which I think is interesting because it it first of all it, it contrasts with Glinda's later more. Uh, operatic solemn kind of sound which I think is interesting because we see you know how her character develops throughout the show but at the beginning she's just got this very uh, heavy pop sound I think it's also funny because the underlying the underlying uh, music for popular is not very hard to play it's it's just easy you know uh, quarter note, chords major major chords nothing really special to it not very sophisticated in any way which i think matches uh, glinda's personality pretty well she's said uh, yeah. you know kind of simple thinks of things in terms of black and white and there's there's nothing really complex about it
1: and it's extremely catchy as you would assume a pop song would be it keeps coming back to that popular melody again and again um which pop songs have a tendency to yeah, be repetitive <laughs> with that. There is one amazing line of lyrics in popular that I love. Um, and it's one thing I just love about musical theater music in general, um, that often in pop songs you have like not perfect rhyming, um, but a lot of times in musical theater there's, there's really perfect rhymes, and especially in popular, not just the end of a line rhymes with another end of the line, but the entire line rhymes with another entire line. So the example of this is, when I see depressing creatures with unprepossessing features, I remind them on their own behalf to think of celebrated heads of state or specially great communicators. There are so many rhymes just within a single line of music. Celebrate, state, and great rhyme in one line. And then you also have state, or, and communicators. And I also love when you rhyme two words with a bigger word at the end. And there's such big words, too, that he's rhyming together. It is, it's so fun and and so clever. I don't know how he came up with that, but I'm in in awe.
0: After uh, the seventh track, uh, we get I'm Not That Girl. Uh, which is uh, pretty, uh, pretty different from popular. Huh? All of a sudden, we get Alphabas kind of uh, sad. It's it's kind of the class. I talked about how teen pop is really big in the 1990s. This is like such a, a teen pop song because it's Alphabas singing about how she's how she's sad that she, you know she's not going to get this this guy who she likes. And that.
1: I love it. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, I I kind of think of this as the the on my own of Wicked uh, that Eponine sings in Les Misérables, uh, it actually has a very uh, similar uh, uh, musical structure to it, and that there's this constant flowing melodic piece that's being played underneath uh, the melody. Um, it's it's a song that's very heavy on uh, piano uh, and guitar. the The orchestration is pretty simple um and so it's just it's just sort of a, a calming song uh, in between uh sort of we, we've heard a lot of full orchestrations with dancing through life and popular and we're getting into the fine gravity so uh this sort of uh calms things down we, we take a little break
1: i read somewhere that it was the only song in the score in one key is that correct
0: uh, i'm not sure Could is be. It's,
1: yeah it's just simplicity i think is, is so great
0: Short day in the City. Let's move on to the ninth track, which is One Short Day. Uh, this is one of the big ensemble songs uh, in the show. I think it has... Uh, more of a musical theater sound than really anything else in the score uh, it's especially striking because we've been hearing all of these kind of pop uh, sounding songs uh, so we've had uh, dancing through life popular I'm not that girl and then all of a sudden we're gonna get re- we're kind of reminded oh we're this is a uh, this is musical theater uh, so we get uh, one short day here um, this, this seems like, th- this is another one of those songs, uh, we talked about kind of forgettable songs and we were talking about Newsies. This kind of seems like one of those forgettable songs uh, in Wicked to me. I think that might be because uh, we don't really get any recurring themes throughout one short day. It's kind of just a song on its own. Um, so I don't know. Do, do you feel like it's a kind of a forgettable song?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And maybe it's because there's no, deep character development in the song either. It's, it's just a, an introduction to the Emerald City, yeah.
0: There's kind of more of this musical manipulation that I've been talking about. It's a very happy song, very grandiose. Uh, so we're kind of, uh, we're learning about how, you know, everyone thinks that Oz is the best, it's great. Uh, and the audience starts to kind of think that too, but we are literally on the brink of realizing that everything is is not quite as it seems. We're getting closer to the end of Act One. Uh, after One Short Day, we get the 10th track in the cast recording, and this is the first time that we hear the wizard uh, singing, or that we think we hear the wizard singing, I should say.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: so this song is a sentimental man. It's very kind of slow, somber uh, song. Uh, And then we move into the real showstopper. It's the Act One finale. Even if you aren't a musical theater person, you probably know the name of this song. The song, of course, is called Defying Gravity. And I think as Lydia has already said, it's probably one of the best uh, Act One closers in musical theater history. Something has changed within me. Something is not the same. Let's go into this one in a little more uh, detail, kind of like we did with The Wizard and I. Hopefully this isn't too overwhelming, but I kind of, I, I, I split this song into ten sections. <laughs> Holy moly. Right, that might be way too many. We're gonna go through these really quickly. Uh, because I know we're already kind of into uh, a a large uh, section of time here. Uh, But let's see, the first section is the I Hope You're Happy section. This is just Glendon Elphaba singing with these uh, quick chords being played in between the melody. It's kind of just like sung dialogue. Uh, Then, second section, uh, we get this You Can Still Be With The Wizard uh, section that Glinda sings. Elf is going to join also. This is actually, uh, we're going to hear a lot of the same rhythmic themes that we saw in The Wizard and I, uh, and like I said, it's going to be sort of the backbone for Defying Gravity. Uh, it's, it's driving, but it's also tense, very apprehensive. Let me go ahead and play that theme once again in case we've forgotten it. Then we get into the third section of the song which is kind of the first uh, verse of this song uh, it's very slow we get uh something that's called tremolo uh with the violins this is just when the violins make this trembling sound um so uh, stuff is about to happen uh so uh, we're very apprehensive it's a very very tense sound and we get into our first chorus Uh, And we get this high ascending pattern of eighth notes. It's interesting that it's ascending again, similar to the uh, unlimited theme, I think. This is going to be the sort of the backbone for the Defying Gravity Chorus. Um, So let me play uh, really quickly what the underlying music to this Defying Gravity Chorus sounds like. So it's basically just that played over and over and over again. Um, And it's played with a synthesizer and it's doubled with a a glockenspiel, which is like a, it's like a metal xylophone. Uh, So it gives it kind of this, this twinkly sound, I think. Uh, So it's, it's like at the same time, it's, it's tense, but it's also magical. It's also kind of hopeful also in the same way, which is interesting because it doesn't seem like this should be a hopeful situation for Alphaba.
1: Well I love just in the lyrics when she says close my eyes and leap, there's a leap kind of in interval there too, and leap. Um, and I think, I think it just kind of adds to her, she's resolved, she's going to do this. Um, she's she's ready to to take that jump and her kind of the way she's singing reflects that.
0: After we finish up with that first chorus, we get into the fifth section of the song. See, we're flying through these lids. Uh, This is the second verse, Uh, uh, so uh, this time uh, the verse has the full orchestra backing it up instead of just the trembling violins. So things are really starting to build. Uh, Then we get the second chorus. Uh, It kind of pulls back a little bit, and we're back to that high ascending pattern. It's basically just a complete replicate of that first chorus. And then in section seven, uh, we have a return to this unlimited theme. Um, in the score, uh, this is also being played while Elphaba uh, is in, it enchants the broomstick that she's about to fly away on. Uh, it's a pretty cool special effect in the show uh, to see this flying broomstick. Um, but I think we mentioned before how this unlimited theme has kind of that magical feel to it. So it's kind of cool to see it here associated with... Alphaba's uh, magic. We jump into a third chorus uh, for the eighth section of this song. This time, Glinda is actually going to join in uh, to sing this chorus. Uh, we kind of hope that maybe she'll join Alphaba. Uh, she's not going to. Uh, we jump into the ninth section. We return to this, I hope you're happy uh, uh, song that we heard earlier. Um, and then in the final section, we're gonna get this big finish. Uh, it's gonna be similar to The Wizard and I where the song kind of slows down. The only musical accompaniment is uh, this, these loud dramatic chords and cymbals clashing every two beats or so. Um, so uh, everything sort of slows down Then it's gonna pick up again uh, as we uh, go back into the chorus. Everyone in the orchestra is playing now. It's louder than it's ever been before. It's really epic. We've, we've said that the score is epic, uh, but we do that again. Then it's going to draw back at the very end, and it's going to end with that Wicked Witch theme like we talked about before, more of the uh, musical manipulation.
1: Again, best act one-ender out there. Um, it's a beautiful song
0: that there is or was, is ever gonna All right, well, that pretty much does it for us for Act One. Uh, and we'll move on now to the second act of Wicked. Uh, similar to uh, Newsies, and it's similar for most musical theater scores, Act Two is a lot shorter. Uh, in Wicked's case, it seems like Act Two is a lot different than Act One uh, because Act One, you know, they're in school the whole time and there's a lot of kind of character building songs. And then, as usually happens in Act 2, there's a lot of plot that's going on. Um, And a lot of the uh, well-known songs from Wicked are in Act 1. So now we're getting into maybe uh, some more obscure stuff. That starts with the 12th track in the original Broadway cast recording, which is a song that's called Thank Goodness. Oh, what a celebration we'll have today. This song mostly serves to move the plot along. Some time has passed, so we learned that Elphaba has kind of turned into this villainized character. Uh, and then we also learned that Glenda is working with Madame Morrible and the Wizard, and Fierro is uh, sort of reluctantly with Glinda. Uh, Glenda sings uh, a little solo song that I think we could call I Couldn't Be Happier uh and uh this this song is interesting because the time signature is five eight uh which is a really strange time signature in music normally you'd have something like six eight that you could count one two three one two three but five eight is something that will be counted one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. So it's sort of a, there's sort of a missed beat that's built into the time signature, which is kind of interesting because I think it sort of mirrors how Linda's feeling about this whole situation. It's, it's a little uncertain. It's sort of skipping ahead. Uh, there's a lot of confusion going on.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the Glinda solo in this song. Um, she has kind of a sunny tune that she's singing, um, but then it's kind of cut by these really like questions um, at the end of each line. I think it just it adds so much. This is the song I think kind of Glinda. You see her grow um, as she's singing this song. Um, I did want to say that it, it's when uh, Madame Morrible is kind of talking about what happened with Alphaba uh, and Glinda, she's kind of like repeating this lie about what happened. It's almost kind of backed by a harpsichord kind of sound in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this was kind of reminiscent of Ding Dong, the witch is dead again, um, kind of another opening to an act just like no one mourns the wicked. Um, because in that song, the munchkins kind of recount um, the witch's death and in the same way she's kind of recounting, um, a scene that's happened. So I think it's a, maybe another homage to, to the Wizard of Oz to open act two. Um, I always kind of thought this was a strange act two opener. Um, Normally the act two opener is a big dance number. Um, It's not very serious, and it kind of just gets you back into the show, gets you excited about being there again. This one is a lot more serious, um, and it's a lot more plot-driven than an act two opener might usually be.
0: Believe me, it's hard to resist cause it Feels wonderful, they think I'm wonderful. Hey, Track 13 wonderful. is uh, the, the Wizards kind of main song that he sings. This is a song called Wonderful. And in it, the wizard is trying to convince Alphaba to uh, join him uh, again. Um, but uh, I, I think we, we've already talked a lot about Wonderful. We talked about the musical manipulation that's involved. Uh, It's a very upbeat, jazzy song. We hear a lot of that acoustic piano that's in the orchestra pit. Uh, You'll notice also in the song that the wizard actually sings his own little version of the unlimited theme, uh, sort of repeating what Elphaba uh, sung in The Wizard and I. So not only is there musical manipulation, there's also the wizard manipulating Elphaba. (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) So in the musical, there is a song included that is not on the soundtrack, um, and it's a song that Nessa sings, um, I think it's actually before Wonderful, um, when Elphaba comes to visit Nessa, um, and she gives her the ruby red slippers that allow her to walk, Um, And there's a kind of song played. I really wonder why it's not on the soundtrack, because it is a fairly long song, and maybe because it's just very plot heavy. Um, But I thought there was two interesting themes in this kind of song that's not on the soundtrack, but is in the musical. Um, The first one is that the unlimited theme is played, but it's the only time that it's played in a major key. Um, And It might point to the fact that this is because Elphaba is actually doing something good with her powers. Um, And there's an actual lyric that she says, which is, And finally, from these powers, something good. But underneath her saying something good, the chords that are being played are the chords from the song, Something Bad which I just thought was so incredibly interesting and clever. Um, So, which was the, I texted Sam that there was this really cool uh, melody repeat. So this is kind of what I I found about that, Um, that she is doing something good for her sister, but it turns out to be a horrible mistake and Nessa ends up kind of turning Bach into the Tin Man and it kind of just, rolls into the Wicked Witch of the East and her slippers that she ends up dying in. Um, So I thought another, you mentioned kind of musical manipulation where she's saying that something good is happening, but the music is from something bad in act one. So I I just thought that was, that was interesting.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That brings us to track 14 uh, in the soundtrack, which is a reprise of I'm Not That Girl this time it's sung by Glinda uh it's still about the same guy (laughs) Fiero um so it's kind of a sad reprise uh because we hear uh Glinda sort of saying the exact same song that Elphaba sang and it's just you get you get sadder and sadder for Glinda throughout act two I think
1: (laughs) I honestly think that the biggest character arc in this show is Glinda um, the way she starts in the beginning and the way she ends. It's and this this song is kind of part of part of her starting to change
0: In track fifteen, we make it to uh, the love ballad of the show which is called As Long As You're Mine. Uh, we've already talked about this song a little bit because it has uh, that underlying Wicked Witch theme in it. Uh, extremely heavy 1990s pop sound in this song. There's even some like vocal riffing uh, that Alphaba does that's like, like uh, non-lyrical vocal riffing. Um, so not a huge fan of this song. I'll just come out and say I I I just I don't think it's it's a very good song but I but I also just don't really like that 90s pop sound so I don't know
1: I kind of like it I <laughs> don't there's something I I feel like it's grown on me over the years and there's good harmonies in it um one notable lyric I wanted to point out was that Fiero says maybe I'm brainless, maybe I'm wise, Um, which cues in the audience to a hint because Fiera will eventually become the scarecrow who does not have a brain, so I thought that's clever.
0: Right, so many little hints throughout the score, which is really cool. That brings us to track 16, which is sort of uh, Elphaba's chance in act two to uh, belt again. Uh, The song is called No Good Deed unpunished. No act of charity goes unresented. No good deed goes unpunished. That's my new creed. I remember when we saw this uh, on tour, Lid, uh, that I remember it's being like a real showstopper. I, I remember being really powerful uh, when we were watching it live.
1: Well, it kind of introduces another kind of musical theater writing formula, which is the 11 o'clock number, um, which so you have an opening number and I want song. Um, and then act two, there is usually kind of this show stopping number um, where a character has come to a deep realization and they kind of bring the house down with, with an 11 o'clock number and that is no good deed for Wicked.
0: One thing I wanted to point out is we've talked a lot about the Wicked Witch theme. Uh, it does show up again here in this song, and I'll go ahead and play an excerpt from No Good Deed, Where That Wicked Witch theme shows up. Fier-no. Fier-no. One and hurts. So I think it's kind of interesting because in this song, Elphaba is sort of, embracing the fact that she is the Wicked Witch. And so she's kind of using this musical manipulation on herself in this song.
1: I've always felt like this has never been really my favorite song of the score. And I feel like kind of when I was listening to it, the melody is a little all over the place. It feels a little more chaotic and not as smooth as the other songs. But I do think that is because it kind of reflects where Elphaba's mind is. She's just... Fierro has just supposedly died. Um, her mind is kind of all over the place, and I think that's kind of reflected in the melody as well. No good
0: In track 17, uh, we get a song that's called the March of the Witch Hunters, uh, kind of reminds me of the mob song in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Everyone's, uh, going out to yeah. to kill the witch. Um, and then we go on to, uh, the 18th track, uh, which is a really pretty duet between Glenda and Alphaba. This song is called For Good, um. It actually begins uh, in the soundtrack with uh, the unlimited theme being played again, except this time, very sadly, it's uh, the limited theme uh, because Elphaba sings about how she is limited. Uh, Let me play just the beginning of uh, this song so you can uh, hear this theme as it's played in a new way. me. I'm limited. And just look at you. You can do all I couldn't do. Linda. So now it's up to you. I think it's interesting because uh, every other time we've heard the unlimited theme, it's a really hopeful theme. And we hear that, uh, I, I, I said, I talked about the ascending uh, 16th note pattern. Uh, and this time uh, we don't have any ascending pattern so that the hopefulness in the theme is kind of gone. And of course that's echoed by the lyrics.
1: I love how they bring that back. The whole show she's saying she's unlimited and then you get to the end and it's just the whole like journey of her character and she comes to the end and she's limited now. Um, It it hits you.
0: For Good features uh, a theme that we haven't touched on yet. It's kind of the last theme that we haven't I I feel like really mentioned at all. Uh, This is kind of a I, I I've called it in my notes the friendship theme <laughs> because it's kind of uh, it's kind of the opposite to we talked about the loathing theme. So Glinda and Elphaba sort of have this loathing theme, but then they also have uh, this friendship theme, which is at the beginning of this song, and it's actually all throughout the score as well. Once you start uh, listening for it, let me just play on the piano uh, what that theme sounds like. So really simple. It has this uh, descending pattern of uh, seventh intervals, uh, which is a- an odd interval. You know that an octave would be an eighth, right? Uh, so a seventh is just, is, it doesn't sound good to our ears, uh, which is interesting to have for kind of a friendship yeah. theme. But there's something kind of whimsical about it, uh, so I, I think it's it's interesting because the descending pattern is really pretty, but then there's something a little off kilter about it, which is reflective of Glinda and Elphaba's friendship, you know.
1: I was thinking that while you played that as well, the it it kind of sounds a little bit off, but yeah, it's, I think it's probably pointing to just how different Elphaba and Glinda are, but still they work together, yeah.
0: Just so we can get a good idea of uh, how this theme works throughout the score, I'll mention that the actually the first time Alphaba enters the stage, other than when she's born, uh, the first time that the actress playing Alphaba enters the stage, uh, this uh, theme is actually played. Um, and then let me let me play just an excerpt from "Dear Old Shiz," which is sort of a song that we skipped over. But this is the second song in the soundtrack. This is really early in the show, but we actually hear uh, the theme right there. So let me play real quickly an excerpt from Dear Old Shiz. So going beyond just the theme for the show, uh, let's talk about the song a little bit. Uh, It has a pretty simple structure. I I said this is one of the heavier kind of pop songs in the show. So it has kind of this verse, chorus uh, structure to it. There's a verse that Glinda sings, then there's a verse for Elphaba, then there's a bridge, and then they uh, combine uh, to sing uh, their own verses sort of over on top of each other. I think that one of the cool things about this song is that, you know, Glinda's a soprano, Elphaba's an alto, uh, so alphabas should be singing lower notes and Glinda should be singing higher notes. What's cool is throughout the whole thing, uh, if you listen to the whole thing, Elphaba is always singing the higher note uh, in this show, which is kind of, or in this song, which is pretty cool.
1: Wow, yeah, that's interesting. Um, just pulling out some notable lyrics, I think the use of For Good um, as the title and kind of the hook is, of the song is so clever, just the double meaning of it for good, forever, but also for good, um, opposite of bad. Um, So again, just the the cleverness of Stephen Schwartz's lyrics here um, are shown.
0: We have made it to the final track in the cast recording. This is track number 19, and it uh, simply has the title Finale. Uh, This is just sort of, uh, just sort of brings together uh, several of the themes that we've heard throughout the show. And it's basically a reprise of No One Mourns the Wicked and then also For Good. It's kind of, it's, it's an interesting ending to the show because this is, like I said, this is a, it's an epic show uh it's an intense show but the the ending is it's kind of sad it's kind of somber of course we get the big wicked uh that that e major to, to a sharp uh situation that we had at the end of no one wants the wicked at the beginning of the show but kind of up to that point it's just a very slow kind of somber ending
1: yeah that is interesting
0: uh Little uh, little fan theory here, Lyd. Does this mean that Glenda has just told all of uh, the people of Oz, Elphaba's true story?
1: To be honest, I had never thought about that, but it, it makes complete sense to me um, because the show starts with Glenda saying, you know, we did know each other um, at school. So, yeah, I, I could see that. My question about this is, is in the beginning of the show, um, Glinda says, someone asked Glinda, is it true you were her friend? Um, and Glinda says, it depends on what you mean by friend. So, in the beginning of the show, uh, kind of everything in the beginning of the show now makes sense after, after seeing it. It, c- it comes full circle, um, to reference kind of the clock theme that Wicked has kind of going through the, the whole book. Um, but it does seem like Glinda is still hesitant to call Alphaba her friend. But maybe if you go with this thing that she just told the whole story, then it's kind of shows some reconciliation maybe at the end.
0: It's definitely a sad ending because it ends with Glinda thinking that Alphaba is dead <laughs> and, and Fiero as well. Uh, so, yeah, very, very tragic ending to the show.
1: It is, yeah. And Alphaba ends up with F- Fiero as well um yeah it's it's it is a little bit sad for Glenda.
0: well lydia we have made it uh through to the end of episode two of broadway overanalyzed we have walked through the whole soundtrack of wicked and uh couple questions for you before we close out the episode uh, okay. what is your uh, favorite song from the soundtrack and what's your least favorite song from the soundtrack
1: I'll start with the least favorite first because I feel like that is a little more positive um, I honestly am not a huge fan of wonderful um, I feel like there are other small snippets of songs that we kind of skipped over as well but it's it's usually one that I kind of skip on the soundtrack, um, and maybe it's just that I'm not really into that, that kind of sound as much, uh, but my favorite song, it's really a toss-up between Defying Gravity and Wizard and I, and I do, I don't think I can pick between the two. They're both amazing songs. They have, like, the most epic endings, um, so yeah, what, what are yours?
0: Uh, I, th- I think my favorite song is probably The Wizard and I. I w- it probably used to be Defying Gravity, but I think just, studying the show uh the past month or so i've i've i really like the wizard and i now also i also really like dancing through life at times uh that's really fun to play on the piano uh least favorite song it's not wonderful i i uh i enjoy playing wonderful on the piano it's it's got some fun some fun stuff going on uh with the piano uh least favorite song maybe it would be uh Maybe another the the wizard's other song is "Sentimental Man." Uh, it's it's a uh, yeah. it, it's a quick song, but it's it's I'm not a huge fan. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's about ten seconds long, but it is. We didn't mention this before. It is the first time that everyone deserves the chance to fly is said in the show. That's true. Which comes yeah. back everywhere and kind yeah. of the finale of Gravity, but yeah, I would agree.
0: So much foreshadowing, yeah. Okay, if you were to rank uh, this show on a scale from 1 to 10, what score would you give Wicked?
1: It's so hard. I gave Newsies a 7.5, I think. Um, I think I might give Wicked an 8.5. Um, I think my appreciation for it has grown even since doing this. Um, just the cleverness in it, um, the way themes are repeated, and, yeah, it, it – I love it. So good. 8.5. What's yours?
0: Uh, Well, I was actually going to give it an 8.5 as well. I I think I gave Newsies an 8. and It's odd to me that I'm putting them so close together. Uh, The thing is, I feel like I should absolutely love Wicked because I think structurally it is so cool. There's something about the sound of Wicked that it's just not... This is just a personal preference, but it's just not my favorite sound. I don't like the electronic keyboard sound (laughs) and that's it's just all over the place in wicked. i would love if they did like a revamp of the orchestrations and did like a classical Mm -hmm. orchestration uh redo of the the musical that would be so good um so I, i think that's why it's probably so close to to newsies because structurally i think it's much better but as far as the sound goes uh i'm not as big of a fan
1: Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. I think, like we've said before, it's just been so much fun to kind of do the research and dig into these shows. So we really appreciate you guys coming along on that journey and listening with us um you can follow us on our (laughs) instagram uh please give us a follow um and we also have an email account so if you have any questions um please email us we've really enjoyed kind of some of the feedback we've gotten as well to try to improve the podcast or maybe you have suggestions for um new shows that we want to do in the future i think we're going to do a throwback show next um but thank you guys so much for listening really appreciate it and we will catch you later